Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. Nailed it. <laughs> always, always. I mean, on my end, it, in my end, we nailed it. This is always. The oh case. yeah, yeah. Not on my end. Well, not look, end. the internet is a thing, and pipes are a thing. Delay. It's not just a big truck that you can put things on. Okay, it's a series of tubes. <laughs> Some of these tubes are bigger than other tubes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always got blame big you tubes over here. Behind. You have to be behind. I got a gig up, a gig down. Really. I have a gig up and a gig down. No. Anyway, propagation Weird speed flex. of light's not fast enough. <laughs> Weird flex. I have a gig yep. up and a gig down, and my network isn't run by a evil monopolizing corporation. No. Well, mine is. <laughs> <laughs> who who claim to do no evil? <laughs> mm, no, they don't claim that anymore, I don't think. Oh, uh, they don't. They stopped that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whenever part of your claim is do no evil and then you remove that, it's like a it should just be a big beacon of light. <laughs> like, oh no, hey, yeah, for sure. I don't think problem. I don't think don't be evil is is their slogan anymore. I'm pretty sure it's like harvest the world's knowledge. Money, 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 money. Yeah, right. I'm pretty At sure it's costs. it's uh <clears throat> do whatever it takes to not be branded a monopoly so we don't have to figure out how to, you know succeed in an antitrust suit <laughs> i you, and you know when you have a behemoth that size you have to swallow a lot of money to get things going and keep them going mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot of people depending on them for their livelihood mm-hmm. which is sad too but they probably pay taxes i mean i, I assume they pay taxes right they have to pay taxes so oh, they don't pay taxes oh uh oh uh so th- there is a um, a large company in the Kansas City area who got a building paid for through taxes, and the day after, like the contract uh, that they had to maintain the building in the area was up, they owned the building. Mm-hmm. So the day after, they sold it. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> Interesting. Interesting how that works. Taxpayers pay us for our building. We use it for ten years. And then we sell it and make even more money. Well, listen. And then get taxpayers to pay for the next building. But think of the shareholders, Amos. Okay. <laughs> Who's looking out for them? All right. You know, you're supposed to be looking out for our people, Bob. That's what it's all our about. People. Shareholders. Think of our shareholders. Okay. Who's helping them out? Oh, man. I, I don't know. I don't know. That stuff drives me nuts. <sighs> I also like helping people. Grow businesses. <laughs> no, no, there's a lot of money. That's the thing. So. Listen, that's the thing is there's a, there's a, there's a, you can hold these two things, these are two ideas in your head of building businesses is, is interesting and fun and a worthwhile pursuit. Uh, doing new and innovative work is a noble, worthwhile pursuit. And you can also not like that, you know, giant tech corporations become anti competitive and squeeze out any ability for anybody else to uh, make any entrance into that market. It's, you can be upset about both those. You can you can hold both those things in your head. They're not mutually exclusive. I, I also have a hard time, like, because I understand as a company wanting to grow, mm-hmm. and so it, it is sometimes at odds. But I I I don't know how you, you can convince a corporation to be like, hey, 
we need to move out of the way for somebody else. You know, uh, the way you convince or, them is um, via uh, legal means and creating a fair marketplace. So they have to get better. They have to get big enough to where like, there's a certain size where the legal system helps you, right? Like they, oh, hey, it's great for your company to come in here. So taxpayers are going to build your building for you. Mm-hmm. And pay for everything, mm-hmm. but then there's a point where they get big enough that you're like, okay, now you're bad, and we've got to take care of that. So there's like this medium. Actually, I think if you get to a point where they're like, hey, taxpayers are build the building for you, he, I don't know, you better be bringing a lot of money to that region, right? Especially when yeah. they're like multi-million dollar buildings. You have obligations, you know, to pay those people back, right? Right. And then so. This is know. good. This is it's good wild. content. This is what the people are tuning in for. Um, <laughs> Come in and talk about our uh, antitrust oh, uh, yeah. monopoly. No, this is this lawsuit. is this is the hard hitting. Uh, this is the hard hitting economic discussions that people tune into the Elixir Outlaws for. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you know, it's this you gotta, children's you gotta, sandwich uh, discussions. <laughs> no, yeah. We really nailed our demographic, I think. Favorite mayonnaise. <laughs> oh, man. man. And Dukes, then, obviously. <laughs> all right. So we, t- we talked about... I'm. Oh, this is going to be the greatest segue. We talked about company behaviors. Mm-hmm. So now let's talk about behaviors and protocols. Mm. <laughs> Juicy. Terrible. Terrible segue. <sighs> Okay, sure. So, so we, we, we discussed this off air, uh, the notion of talking about protocols and behaviors, and we'll say when to use either one of these things and uh, what they're good for, what, they're, what their purposes are. And uh, my own spin on it, because it's me still, is ways in which I think we might be misusing some of these, some of these things and ways that we could improve. You didn't say that neither. You you said that they both exist, though. This is not a a normal podcast with you. You got to say something doesn't exist. No, no, no. It's no. not a thing. Mm. So <laughs> why don't you el- elucidate our elucidate. our, our listeners on uh, just in case anyone's not familiar with behaviors and protocols? And you tell me what do you feel like those are used for. All right. What do you what do you uh, feel like their best use cases are, and then how, and how are they different from each other? Because they seem similar when you first learn about uh, behaviors and protocols. They do similar ish things. Ooh, ish. Yeah. Okay. So um, a behavior is being able to define a specific set of functions, function signatures is what I should say that uh, a given set of things that implement those behaviors. So you're, you're telling the system, hey, I need a function that takes these arguments and returns this type of result if you want to work with me. And then you can go and implement those behaviors um, on your own, in your own modules. Um, it doesn't even have to be like a struct or anything. Protocols, on the other hand, two string is, is a, well, not, is a pretty common one that you might want to implement is you have a struct uh, that you implement a protocol for that allows a single function call to get 
dispatched across different struct types, kind of implementing a polymorphic type behavior within a functional world. Uh, one, one common one that I've seen if you're doing Phoenix is IO data. Uh, Phoenix HTML safe is the protocol and the functions to IO data uh, so that you can create your own internal structs that you drop them into your EEX and they just print out in whatever way you've implemented these functions. Um, that's, that's one way that I've used them for protocols. Protocols to me are, are nice when you um, want to take any kind of input, um, I'm any in quotes there, uh, a given set of types of inputs and do something with them. And it uh, really is great for a library author, I think, to allow users to have user data structures that work within their library. Behaviors. Behaviors I usually use for internal things to a module. So callbacks, gen server, you know, handle info. Those are those are handle call, handle cast. Those are all behaviors. So I use behaviors for internal things. To me, behaviors are different in that I actually need to know the module the that is implementing that behavior in order to call that function. So that's why I wouldn't use it for an outside world thing. I would use it for a protocol if I wanted to be more dynamic. Yeah. How about that? I feel like I talked a lot. No, it's good. <laughs> I'm trying this thing where I let you talk more. Whoa. No, I think I think that nails it. So uh, some flavor I would add to that is behaviors mechanically are attached to modules. Modules implement behaviors uh, via a set of functions, right? So uh, the canonical example of this is a gen server where the machinery of a gen server is hidden from you. You know, there's a process in there somewhere. It has an implementation that does things like handles casts, handles calls, handles different signals, other messages, knows how to delegate those and uh, call into the behavior the module that you that that implements a behavior, and that's where you get your handle call, handle cast, handle info. The the machinery of a gen server knows how to call all those various functions. And so when you want to uh, implement a gen server, what you're really doing is you're writing you're you're writing a bunch of callback functions, handle call, handle cast, init, uh, and handle info, and others are callbacks that are going to be then called by the actual gen server process. And that allows you to use, to, it allows you to take those gen server processes and use them for a whole range of possible, possible things. Like, like it's one of the most generic primitives uh, in OTP. Uh, the notion that you can take a, one of those gen servers and you swap out the implementation details simply by swapping out the callback module that you're passing into it. So behaviors are, are attached in that way to modules. Um, and that's a very specific thing. It feels like a lot of times to me is that it's almost like having a function that you, you're injecting a function into. Like the callback is actually like in, you're injecting into a piece of another function. Kind of, yeah. With a, a callback. Yeah. Without, yeah. without having to pass like an anonymous function or something in. It's, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's hidden. That 
I've, I've experienced with, with, uh, our interns and maybe people who haven't done a lot of callbacks that that's like the magic part of Erlang and Elixir. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's, it's sometimes the hardest part to be like, wait a second, when's this called? Where's it called from? Um, it's a little harder to grok, I guess. Right. But I think, I think a super important thing about behaviors and I think this is something that people kind of get wrong is behaviors aren't interfaces in the Java sense of the word interface. Mm -hmm. I think people use them like that a lot and assume that they are like Java interfaces and they're really not behaviors in my mind are really about separating out truly generic ideas like a gin server. A gin server is a super generic idea, hence the name, <laughs> right? Like it is, it is a general purpose idea that can be used in a wide range of things. Your implementation of the behavior is a specific concrete thing. And so behaviors allow you to separate those two pieces out. They allow you to break apart general and specific. That's a really powerful design idea. Um, and that, that is something that often we should strive for in a lot of designs. I think, I think, I think it's a really useful way to think about design is like, what can be separated out? What is truly general and what is more specific? It also means that the, you know, the behavior, you have to abide by the contracts, right? You have to, you have to implement a certain set of functions. Those functions have to take a certain type of data. And then they have to return a certain type of data. Like there is, that is all contract that you have to abide by. Uh, if you're going to, for instance, opt into the gen server thing, um, you have to, you know, if you have, so you're going to get called, you're going to have a gen server call you, or rather if you're going to call a gen server and that's going to turn into a handle call callback somewhere, you have to be able to accept the message. You have to be able to accept who, where it came from, and you have to be able to accept your current state. You have to have a handle call three function and it has to return a specific thing. If it doesn't return one of those things, it blows up. So in that way, you have to be, you have to be aware of all of, uh, of, of what those contracts are on, on all sides of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're attached to modules. And I, I think that's really important that they're attached to modules. I see this general trend in a lot of, Elixir code that I'm looking at right now, where people are attempting to hide away the passing around of modules. And they're doing it by, you know, use like, like using macros or whatever. It's interesting to note that gin servers to me feel very, never feel burdensome in terms of like how you pass stuff around. And I think part of the reason is because when you start a gen server, you literally pass as the argument, the callback module. You just say, here's the callback module I actually want you to use when you start this gen server. That's like fascinating to me that, that, that I think we just internalized that as part of the machinery of using gen servers. But I don't see people doing that a lot when they actually, when it comes to their own Libraries, they're taking more of like the ecto approach where it's kind of all hidden away from you and done kind of um, via macros and macro expansion. And I think that's really interesting because if you accept of the idea of just passing modules around as like a, a generally acceptable idea, it opens up a lot of 
design ideas. Why, why do you think that they want to hide the modules? Uh, because it looks more like oh oh. I mean that's my that's my really curt answer. I think it looks more familiar, and it's like well I have to type one less thing. You know there there are for a lot of people a a, a rubric where typing less is better. Typing less indicates that you have better code. I don't really personally subscribe to that idea, but I think that that idea does is prevalent in, in the in the ecosystem. And I think that's a lot, of, lot largely because uh, most people coming to any functional language probably were first introduced to an object-oriented language. Just statistically speaking, you know, if you're on the bell curve, like most people, most are people anywhere, up. most people anywhere are, you know. I mean, maybe, yeah, okay, yeah, I get it. You learned Scheme and Haskell in college. That's cool. But, like, most people are, you know, picking up an OO language or a procedural language like Python as their first language, you know, and, and learning OO as the as the sort of default. So I think that's where a lot of these ideas come from. It's like it looks more like OO if you hide all that stuff. And it feels a little bit weird to pass around modules, module names, as first-class things we're not used to that idea, especially if you are coming from from Java or something like that. It'd be like passing a type around. Like you can't do that. Types aren't reified things, you know. So it feels weird to pass a module name around, even though that's totally a thing that we do all the time under uh, the hood. So that's my hunch. I, well, and I, and I I think that I understand like where you're talking about passing types around. And it can feel that way, especially with like structs, right? You have you have a struct, it's named after its module mm-hmm. in a way. So it does feel like you're passing a type around, even if that module isn't a struct-based module, like a gen server is not a struct in and of itself. You can have struct in it, but in itself is not a struct. So it feels like a type, mm-hmm. but it's not a type. It's just a bag of functions. Right. Yeah. It's a name <laughs> that has functions attached to it. That's yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. You're 100%. you're you're just you're just giving it a name so that you can remember it where they are better mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of having one global namespace. Exactly. No, I think that's totally accurate. It's interesting to me. I, I think that there is that's definitely a thing I see a lot is people kind of trying to hide the module names or you put them in configuration, right? And then you're even worse off, you know, because now it's like that's global. You got all the problems with with application config at that point. And it's useful for it's it's I would say not useful. It's convenient in a lot of ways to use application env to stash module names so you don't have to, you know, pipe them through all your function calls everywhere or whatever. But I don't know, there's something very uh freeing about choosing to go more the route of being explicit about how what what module names you're passing in into your various uh, either function calls or into processes that you're starting. Another thing about behaviors, and this is something that, um, this is an idea that I did not come up with at all. This is something uh, Quinn has talked about a lot. And I've, I've been really intrigued by this idea ever since she sort of put it out there. And I've been thinking about it uh, a lot because it rings so true to me. Uh, the idea that some of the best behaviors are things like gin servers. But in a lot of ways, what we, what Elixir people end up using them for is much more like public interfaces of things. And then we swap out the, the module with a, like, to, to use as a different public interface. And I actually wonder if that's really wrong, um, if that's really not what we want to do. And this is, like I said, not, not my idea. And maybe I'm 
maybe I'm leaping more uh, into this than than I might be putting words in Quinn's mouth, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but and maybe you know sort of interpreting it like slightly differently. But I think it's interesting that we we and I myself included tend in Elixir tend to use behaviors to define like sort of public interfaces, and then we swap out the the public interface with a different thing that. We swap out the implementation by swapping out the other public interface, you know. So it's like if I want to talk mm-hmm. to Redis or if I want to talk to talk to uh, uh, Postgres or talk to Etz, I would have one behavior that defines a public interface, and then I swap out the modules, and that's like still just implementing the public interface. And I think that that maybe is wrong. Like maybe that's not actually the parts of it that we want to. Maybe that's not how we want to be approaching that. How do you think we want to be approaching it? I think if we want to be high, I mean, I think it goes back to the idea that like you're not really removing the parts of the machinery that are that are generic. The interface to me isn't how do I yeah, see, this is interesting. I don't know that I have words to describe this yet. This is me kind of figuring this out still, putting words to, to the feeling that I have after doing this for a long time, it's just like you develop an innate sense of this stuff. Gen servers are great. I never worry about, I never think about the machinery of gen servers. I just know that I have these callback functions and I can utilize them. Whereas whenever I've attempted to use behaviors to define an interface to be able to swap out, you know, in, I want an in-memory database versus Redis for testing purposes or something like that. I've never been satisfied with that because I don't think it really is getting to the to the heart of it, which where you're separating out the truly generic pieces from these specific pieces. Because in that case, you're actually sort of attaching all that stuff together. You're you're coupling together the generic and the and the and the specific. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's that's my general feeling on it. So that's that's my overall feeling on the behaviors thing. It's interesting to me, I feel like protocols are criminally underused. I, I, I do too. Um, Ed noticed all the time, especially in things like displaying user information. I find protocols to be really useful. <laughs> Keithley just fathering. Uh, perfect. The thing that I, I've noticed with choosing behaviors, I almost feel like like behaviors, when I have implemented my own, they almost all belong in like a loop, like a process type loop. Mm-hmm. I don't define a module that has some behaviors outside of that very often. I think I've done it like once and then was like, wait a minute, I think this is better served as a protocol. I've always found that if it's, if it's not something like a process, something that's looping, that's working over and over and has, has usually multiple callbacks, not just one, then it's better served as a protocol. Your mileage may vary. Kids are yelling in the background. <laughs> it's, it's perfectly fine. Sorry, what, what was the last thing? I, I was just saying that uh, if it's not looping and, and hanging on for a while, behaviors, I, uh, that's where I see behaviors as like processes, mm-hmm. things that, yes. are, that are long-lived, not in like some kind of module. If it's, if it's data-bound, then I, to me, it's a protocol. Yeah, if it's, I, if it's I agree ac- with that. If it's action bound, like doing something, then I look more toward behaviors, but those also typically are long lived things. I think I overall agree with that. And at the same time, 
the only reason I feel that way is just because <sighs> protocols are attached to structs. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of the only reason to think of it that way. And I'm not sure if that's a good enough reason. Like I'm wondering about this, right? Like I, I actually think that there's no reason you can't express actions as data as structs, even if they don't hold anything inside of them, you just need a name right. for the thing. And then you get full dynamic dispatch, which is really the thing that you want in a lot, in a lot of cases for runtime systems is to be able to dispatch on an, on a named thing and, and have different outcomes depending on what you pass in. I'll say this, like I, a lot of the libraries I've ended up working on that I think have really stood up to my own development cycles were built predominantly out of protocols. And it was a great way to create a set of uh, extensible dynamic things. So, so but yeah, but that- I think I think protocols are great because what protocols allow you to do is extend your system, your library, your whatever, by just adding a new struct and implementing a thing. And so there's no coordination effort that needs to take place to do that extension. So, so the wild thing that I'm getting here, the uh, idea as you're talking is like, you could you could implement a gen server type thing instead of using behaviors, using protocols, and the initial state that you pass in would be the data that that the protocol is implemented around. And then you could actually change that out in the middle of something running. Yeah. So you could build like a state machine that way. Like I have yeah. this Yeah, state, if you built it all based it on switch. protocols like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then you that just would be have, interesting. Yeah, you would have different structs that define different states that you could be in. And they can transition back and forth between each other. And just by simply returning the next the next struct. So the the one thing that the behavior buys you over the protocol is a guarantee that you have implemented. Doesn't mean that you implement it necessarily right, but you've got a, a little bit of a compiler hint in a protocol of mm-hmm. or in not in a protocol, in a behavior saying, hey, this module has to implement this. Right. Where with the with the uh, protocol, there's nothing telling you that until runtime. I believe that's the case. I I don't know. I don't know anymore because I don't know enough. Of, I mean, Voice I would be able to answer this question better than me. But like, I don't <laughs> in, know. In a second. I, I yeah right exactly. I don't know. Protocols are also special. I think because. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think this also has to do with one of the reasons why people still don't really use protocols that much. I think partially because like people don't quite get it. They're a little bit confusing where behaviors like map a little bit closer to things that like people, you know, the, the ways that people think about interfaces, like interfaces in Java, you have a mod, you know, you have a namespace, you have a class and it defines these functions. It stubs them out and says, you have to define these things. That feels like a behavior to people. And like, it looks the same, like in your text editor, it looks the same because you're telling it what functions you have to implement and yeah, the compiler tells you, you feels, have to implement. It feels this. right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it feels more like it. I think it's, I, but I think it's mostly aesthetics, right? 
But I think that's what people are drawn to. That's why people are drawn to behaviors. I also think back in the day, protocols had some pretty like severe performance problems for like a hot minute there. Um, and that's why you do the whole, like, do you remember this? You had to do the whole protocol consolidation thing. Yes. There's like yeah. a, and, a, like a, a, a compiler pass that consolidates them all. So it's there. You don't take a performance. And, hit. and it's still there. It's just, I think you don't have, I you don't have to care about de- it anymore. I think the default changed or something. I don't remember. It's been but a while. But I do know, or I don't remember. I believe that that requires a, spe- a special compiler pass to be able to do that consolidation. And in that way, they're kind of special. But I don't remember what, what were we talking about? <laughs> Why do we talk <laughs> well, about that? <laughs> uh, the reason that people don't didn't well i think that's part of it is like i think that's part of it is that you there was sort of like a like some you know fear about like performance or whatever but i think it's more just that it's it's not as intuitively obvious of why you would use these things um Mm -hmm. and then and then they are attached to structs which means you have to have a little bit more ceremony when it comes to creating a struct attaching it all that sort of stuff well it but you know you mentioned java interfaces and really the the interface is more of protocol mm-hmm. it's just that you don't get the compiler help like that's the only thing that you get from oh, behavior right. Right, that right, right. you that feels like interface but and and even when and you I'm were sure you describing could. when you were describing a behavior you described it as an interface and it is it is a definition you're right. defining how, like how in order to you use me you have to define these things yeah and good point and good point protocol doesn't doesn't give you those strong guarantees at compile time it, it give at runtime it'll tell you hey wait you can't do that so i get that's that's where i think that it gets equated a behavior gets equated to an interface a java type interface yes yeah i think that's right and there's kind of a rule this oh that was what i was gonna say before is it may be possible to do more of those checks at compile time because it does do that consolidation effort i don't really know and maybe it's just not and uh and that that's fine too i do think that there it could be really interesting if the mechanism of dispatch and it's probably not possible because you because of the consolidation stuff i was gonna say it, it would be interesting to have a more even more generic dispatch mechanism that was runtime based than than protocols because protocols are attached to structs but like and sometimes like you have to do a lot of work to get a struct sometimes you just have a map with keys inside of it and then you got to like convert it and figure out how to convert it correctly into and, the struct and that you sometimes want. you don't even care about changing it you just put it in a struct to give it a name right exactly <laughs> and so it would and I, I mean we dealt with this when we were working on the kafka stuff at bleach report jason and i were dealing with this and it was it was annoying. It was actually really annoying because we wanted, we thought we felt like protocols were a really good use case for the different events that we were seeing coming over Kafka. But it means that you can't just JSON decode into a map and then dispatch based on key and have it be open. That's actually what you want, right? Like you want to you want to dispatch based on the value inside of a key somewhere. Because and that's what tells you the type. To be Fair, because I, I I know somebody out there is screaming. Well, it, your protocol doesn't have to be a struct; it can be there like a tuple. You could, you can, you can, you can do it. Kind but of. 
when you start trying to get really generic like that, mm-hmm. now to imp- for yourself to even implement that protocol, you have to be super specific. And I think that you lose a little bit of telling the user about how do you that name gives them a gives the the user of it a little bit more too yeah well and the the other big thing though is is that if you've got a bunch of generic events and you're going to extend those events over time you're going to allow new events to come into the system in order to coerce a plain map into a a struct in order to dispatch on the you know to, to dispatch that event based on a protocol you've kind of like already done all the work because by the time mm-hmm. you figure out what the kind of event is so let's say you get a you get a json blob and it has a key called event event type or just type or whatever and then you need to figure out how to coerce it based on that type that unless you have a a general way to do dispatch on on the on the value inside of that key you're basically down to like well pattern match and have a case mm-hmm. statement or a bunch of function heads that identify the different types that we know about and then coerce them into the correct structs and then do the dispatch operation. But at that point, you've already done the dispatch operation. Like you've already pattern matched. Like you right. are, and it's not, and that pattern match is not opt in. I can't, I have to do a code change. I have to get back in and, and, and touch this central point, this one pattern match in order to extend it. Now, people who like types are going to argue that that's what you ought to do. I'm on, I'm on the fence about it. Like, I actually don't know how I feel about it. Uh, I like being able in. to do it. I like to be able to do it at runtime. The only time, um, this was not my idea. I did not do it. The only time I've actually seen it successful is doing something exactly like what you're saying. And there was a, a struct type that was called event or something like that, very generic. And there was a type in there. And then the implementation of the protocol that they had created looked at that, like they just pattern matched and, but you still couldn't really do it at runtime, right? Cause you're still pattern matching. You're still hitting some function head. Um, I guess you could have a generic thing and try to do some crazy stuff. Uh, sure. Sure, sure. but, but it, I, I don't even know what anything more dynamic would look like to tell you in my head. Like I'm trying to think of what, like, what does that interface look like? Sure. To be I, more dynamic. Well, so closure closure has a concept of this called multi methods, um, which is an idea that stems from common lists, if I remember correctly. And they sort of refined it uh, as is, as is the way of closure. But the idea with closure is you define a dispatch function and that dispatch function is generic and it just tells you what what key what thing what value you're going to dispatch on so maybe it's the type you know you just call type on the on the piece of data that you have and it tells you this is a map or this is a vector or this is a a class object from java or whatever and then you you it goes and looks up in a registry the handler sides the handler functions for that and finds the one that matches or finds a generic one because you can define much like with protocols in, in Elixir, you can define like kind of an any case, like a mm-hmm. fallback case. So you could do that still. And that's how they that's how closure does it. And then and then you can write whatever dispatch function you want to go sit in there. So, for instance, in your case, in my case, it could be like the dispatch function could be, well, I have a map. Look at the type key because we know we have to have a type key and then use that to dispatch on. 
and then I can attach any events I want and I could have multiple teams attach those events. I could change them at runtime. I could allow them to like upload a new a new Elixir script file and do in and do that. Now I don't have to deploy code. That's dangerous. That has its own <laughs> scary scariness to it. Mm-hmm. But it's totally opt-in. And now I don't have to define a struct. I don't have to have a struct at all. But the the trade-off there is it's almost certainly going to be slower because with protocols. I believe what it's amounting to is a giant set of case statements. And those are very fast because the compiler can optimize those and, and knows how to handle that very well. So that's that's what it that's what it comes down to. Julia also has multi-dispatch, but to me, mm-hmm. whenever I, I have very little Julia experience. So if if somebody knows for sure, like, yeah, come tell me uh how I'm wrong. Um, but to me it just it looked like pattern matching. And I could not figure out how to make it dynamic. Gotcha. <laughs> like, like truly dynamic, like something in defined at runtime. The, the way the thing I've been playing with is I wrote a library called uh, sync dispatch. And it's basically it's it's basically just telemetry, the internals of telemetry, the telemetry library. I actually think the internals of the telemetry library are amazing. They're really good. And I want that as a generic thing. And it will definitely be slower than just calling functions and letting the compiler optimize them away. But the notion is that you can go inside of that thing and say, dispatch this kind of event, and you could have a generic function that allows you to define what that looks like. And then you're looking up in a nets table, the handler. And so that gives you that runtime ability where you can attach and and disconnect and add new multi-methods at runtime that's pretty cool. And I think that that's cool. That's an interesting idea. I don't know if that's a good idea. I don't know if it's, I don't know if that's actually what you want. Cause that kind of code gets really confusing to track and follow. Like mm-hmm. there's conceptual overhead, um, to being able to find like, where's the structs? Does it implement which protocols? Like it's nice because it's open. It's open for extension always. And that's a, that's an amazing feature of having things be open for extension is, is, is a really really powerful design goal because it allows you to build stuff with less code. You can just if you, extend the if system you can without the, touch, like touching everything and no breaking changes. Like it's awesome. If the user can extend the system too, it becomes quite powerful for them. But like in my experience, everything, the more dynamic it is, the harder it is to figure out books. I think that's true. I, I think that is, that is true. And so you really have to pick what parts of it, you're going to have, you know, what parts of it you want to be concrete and what things you want to be more dynamic about and picking those in good spots, like picking those, those, those sort of seams is really important. I don't know that I have a good rubric for it outside of this feels right. This feels wrong. I, I, in listening to you, I like the idea of it. If there, you know, if you, if you have like a distributed system and you can bring up a new node that has new functionality, it can put its functionality into that dispatch table and Mm -hmm. you can dispatch that node without like, without taking down the rest of the system or redoing anything. Yeah. But you really have to, you really have to opt. You really have to design around that. You have to build a core around that. Mm -hmm. That is really solid. So you don't have to go digging into it a lot. Like that needs to be pretty rock solid. Um, and then, and then, you know, uh, 
you, you allow people to extend it on their own and, and that and govern that on their own. Yeah, I don't know. But that's I do think protocols are probably underused a little bit. I say that looking at a code base that is filled with protocols and is really hard to understand what is happening and to track down <laughs> anything. So they're really useful, you know, as with anything, you can go way overboard with this stuff. This wouldn't have been better with behaviors, to be clear. It would have been just as bad, but it, it's, you know, uh, it would have been just as confusing, I should say. But uh, but yeah, I think protocols, I think people should probably try, like, you. Uh, protocols map better, map closer to in Java interfaces than you think. And in that way, I think it's, they're very useful for extending and changing the system, allowing other people to extend and change the system without coordination. There's a lot of value in that. I like to use them for transforms. Mm-hmm. From mm-hmm. one type to another, I think they're extremely powerful there. Um, Norm is built completely out of out of uh, out of protocols. That's cool. All of Norm is protocols, and so whenever I added a new function or a new thing, it was basically adding a new struct and implementing like three protocols, and then I was done, and it just worked. It all just worked together. That was like all it took to extend that system. That's awesome. Which is pretty powerful, and it composes. So um, same with Vapor. Vapor is all protocols under the hood. I'm going to have to dig in. I also think I'm going to uh, implement a Jin server type thing using protocols just, be, to, yeah. I mean, just to play around. It's confusing as hell, like. but definitely oh, interesting, yeah. right? Yeah, I just I, I, I want to do it as a throwaway thing, but I think that would be cool. I have a hard stop coming up. Yeah, so yeah. That's where we're going. Oh, so do I, actually, now that I look at the time. Perfect. So, yeah. Perfect. Well, I guess uh, I'll catch you later then. Yeah, later.